Hi, I'm Sam and welcome back to The Backbench. This is the seventh episode of the politics section of BenchPod and today I'm joined by my friend Holly. Um, yeah, so we're going to be discussing a lot of politics news and later on um, discussing what would be in our manifestos if we were running in a general election. Um, before we start, I just want to say that uh, both mine and Holly's thoughts and condolences are with everyone affected by the tragedy in Beirut and we're keeping everyone there in our thoughts um we will go straight into the news from this week and last week as you know i took a a week off um lockdown has been well what is being called lockdown has been reimposed in some parts of the country including um, places such as greater manchester and more recently in aberdeen in scotland um partly because of everything being opened partly because of what the government would say is irresponsible behaviour, but what do you what do you think about that? Well, I just think the government are trying to not cover their own tracks as such, but it's not just our own responsibility. Like you said, they opened everything at once, but they can't exactly tell mm-hmm. what caused the spike, what caused the surge. If they'd done it maybe one step at a time, then it would have been better and if we had a stricter lockdown to start with, maybe we wouldn't be in this mess now. Um, I, just, I don't know, what do you think? So I've said like all along, obviously with this kind of thing, there is some element of um, personal responsibility. Like you do have to have some yeah, sure. part of common sense. You can't just put sole blame on the government for, or just just rely on them from instructions. You've got to use your common sense. But at the, yeah. but at the same time... Oh, exactly. um, when the messaging has been so mixed, so inconsistent, and sometimes incorrect mm. from the government, they deserve a lot of the blame for this, especially imposing lockdown at late exactly. notice. It, like, fair play to them, they act quickly, but and but only after it started to flow up again, you know? I guess, like, I guess that is what you can do. Yeah, like, exactly. Local lock, uh, it's not local lockdowns, local outbreaks are going to happen. But um, mm. just... It's a, it's a difficult one because if yeah. they if they if they act like when they said uh, lockdown was going to be imposing Greater Manchester, like the people around there were they were let known um, probably about I think it was about midnight and it was okay lockdown's happening today or the next day. Um, oh, it, I didn't yeah, realize it which was is that like last it, again it's like... it's fifty fifty of because the government they're they're acting quickly but also it's not really fair. If you live there, yeah. you'd be a bit annoyed. <laughs> Exactly, like you need time. Well, you don't need yeah. too long to prepare, but mm. say you have it's, plans, you need to suddenly cancel big change those plans. All of a and... Yeah. Oh, definitely. But I do agree with you that you mm. need to take your own responsibility. It's like um, people were asking whether they can still go and travel to see their relatives, and it's like, well, yeah, use your common sense. You know, what I mean, if you've got an outbreak in one place and you're going to somewhere that doesn't have an outbreak, you're potentially going to bring the spread to somewhere else so just take responsibility yeah. and stay where you are for the foreseeable future if this is mm-hmm. lockdown it's a um, lockdown you know that's interesting though because when i had had one of my friends uh david on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and he lives in luton mm-hmm. which was one of the areas that had a local lockdown imposed on it and he said that um yeah it was literally you can't go and see people in their houses anymore uh and but they were keeping yeah, some non-essential that. shops and even some pubs open, which is just a really strange decision, but also showing that yeah. <laughs> um, they're prioritising the economy, which isn't a surpri- it's not a surprise, but oh, um, sure. it doesn't make it any less disgraceful. <laughs> but... um, yeah, and they're still trying to sort of pin the blame yeah. on the people. Like, it's mm. a 50-50 split between government and people it, yeah. at the end of the day. They clearly think it's because of the house visits, but it's also it because of the pubs and the restaurants. Inconsistent, like, which no is why it that. annoys people. Like when I said, "Why should I yeah. have to?" Uh, people come up with arguments and say, "Why should I have to wear a mask in a shop when I go there by myself and don't talk to anyone, don't come near anyone?" But when mm-hmm. I go to the pub with five of my mates, I can be fairly close to them and not wear a mask inside. Like it's just inconsistent. Yeah. And, but where you we're used to that by now. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's personal yeah. responsibility um, isn't it? the next one will go next story we have is uh, countries such as Spain Belgium and the Bahamas have lost their exempted 
status and people coming back coming to or back to the UK from those countries will have to self-isolate for 14 days um there's another last minute decision again you could say it's the government acting quickly but also it doesn't give many people a chance to react so when people were saying the government were essentially actively encouraging people to go on holiday in um like just well they still are to an extent um but then so even grant shaps the transport secretary was who's in who's in boris johnson's cabinet he was on holiday in spain and (laughs) and then, then they introduced this measure which means he had to quarantine for 14 days when he got back um yeah again it's a similar situation to the local lockdowns where I guess common sense but you can't really do much if it's another country's rules um and exactly like once you cross the border that's it you're in someone else's hands now yeah and then also they that is part of the reason why like there are flare-ups in other countries because and then and then which results in the British government having to take action but also um the government are actively encouraging people to go away to um, revive the the holiday sector and the, yeah. the, the uh, airline sector um so exactly. again people people will say it's a can't yeah. win situation for the government but i think they can handle it a lot better than they are but yeah i mean yeah. it's easy for us I... to say but from where we from where we're standing there's a lot of things they've missed and a yeah. lot of things that they could have been doing differently by this stage like the quarantine and for 14 days they could have easily done that right yeah. at the beginning of lockdown and kept it until now it seems a bit late to do it now just because that should have arguably surge, happened but... in february or march when like when the cases were yeah. really low when when we were essentially still normal people coming in from affected areas should have been quarantining but exactly you know ugh. but it is better i guess it's better now, late than it's... never but <laughs> and yeah. hindsight's a wonderful thing but they definitely should have yeah, introduced yeah. that a lot sooner i think um yeah yeah exactly Same with lockdown, really, we but... had during <laughs> our full national lockdown we still had planes coming in from affected areas day after day which which is yeah, like crazy. it didn't really it didn't really make sense because it when you see that it doesn't really make sense for <laughs> um them to be doing quarantines now i mean it does in a sense make sense because you don't want the kind of reinfection to happen but yeah. like also why didn't they do it earlier it's like, oh i just yeah that's my brain yeah <laughs> but, it just doesn't <laughs> yeah but um, next story is uh an on oh sorry an unnamed conservative mp and a ex uh cabinet minister was arrested on suspicion of rape and released on bail and not suspended mm-hmm. by the party. Um, I don't want to really like mm-hmm. spend too much time on this because it's quite a heavy subject and there's a lot of unknowns. Yeah, but, for sure. Um, I think it's a bit of a well, it's not a bit of a disgrace. It is a disgrace that the the this MP hasn't been suspended by the party. Not even suspended. Pro- like they really should be fired. Like there's no excuse if he's been arrested literally on suspicion of rape and the Conservative Party has pretended like it hasn't happened yeah they kind of swept yeah, that one because, the park, again didn't they? um as i said there's a lot of unknowns there's um mm. at the moment it's and still an allegation he's been arrested on suspicion of rape he hasn't been yeah. he hasn't been um oh, charged definitely. or anything but um how they can they can go through with that and then still not be suspended by the party is a bit of a bit of a joke to mm. be honest um yeah, whereas if he'd been in a different yeah. career path, yeah. maybe he would have been suspended um, off the spot, and he he would have been named essentially. I, I don't agree with the naming until yeah anything's been proved. Yeah. It's a very grey area if, that if he's, naming if he's people, charged but... because he hasn't been charged yet. I feel like this should be named like if he has to go to court and stuff. But yeah, exactly. But because um, it was only an allegation. I mean, looking, an allegation yeah, and also an allegation. One, like it sounds like the victim has got evidence and but also if the the, the yeah. party not suspending the mp makes it sound like and makes it sound like it's not serious and like almost delegitimizes the victim's um claim it's it's just exactly a... when exactly. it's hard enough for people to come forward in the first place the government are the people are the people that we look up to essentially so if they're setting the example of you can't come forward because you're 
we won't be taken seriously well exactly. that's gonna stop a load of exactly. people it's coming just, forward it's a disgrace yeah. But, um okay. yeah <laughs> and then um next headline is that the uk government is demanding a crackdown on migrants crossing the channel that are they are arguing for the french government to be tougher and stop them um reaching uh french beaches and crossing the channel to the uk from there um mm-hmm. i know this <laughs> this new sec 21 listening this new segment is going to sound like a constant government bashing but um <laughs> honestly but what the, <laughs> this is just a shambles again like um so pretty patel has been of course suggest the home secretary pretty patel keep in mind has been uh saying this morning that the navy should be sent in to deal with migrants which is just a bad idea for countless reasons i probably don't need explaining why and also the a lot of pe- the, the the kind of people that shout all lives matter when when um black lives matter movement is uh prominently in the news the, the first people to shout all lives matter will also be the first people to say send those migrants back stop them invading our country exactly if all lives truly matters you'd welcome people fleeing from war-torn countries seeking refuge i understand that we're massively overpopulated but we still need to help those people that are yeah, in the danger. Yeah, people, the people saying that they don't want those people in our country, they should probably go try and living in a war-torn country or living in poverty or... like oh, for oh, sure. But yeah. It's like with everything that's going on at the moment with the COVID, etc. if it's not directly happening, sometimes people find it difficult to accept yeah. that it's happening at all. Like if they haven't that experienced it That is very true. Themselves. Like when people haven't been directly affected yeah. by it, they seem to think that it's not a real problem but um yeah i mean yeah, not necessarily sort of, yeah, everyone sort of, but yeah, yeah, yeah. the few the yeah. few the few do that and it's like you, you need yeah. to keep an open mind especially with the migrants um, coming etc uh yeah but this kind of came about again because nigel farage obviously uh he on he on twitter often tweets about what he calls the migrant crisis and sees um he yeah. sometimes goes down there and, and records migrant boats arriving in the uk um because he's got nothing better to do at the moment clearly but um so that is yeah. uh, this issue's become prominent again because he's been discussing it on twitter um something that made me laugh though is that the the mayor of liverpool has <laughs> uh, stated that refugees are very welcome in liverpool but nigel farage isn't so <laughs> that's good <laughs> well yeah if he's it's just a lack yeah. of professionalism isn't it if he's just he's He's like openly. Well, we know he's a racist at this point. Like, let's just say it how it is. But um, he's Mm. he's never been an MP. He doesn't. I don't really think he's someone who should have been anywhere near frontline British politics. Because what does that say about our country if we're allowing someone like him to have a huge influence on on right wing politics? Like, a lot Mm. of Boris Johnson's conservative manifesto at the election was modelled on. Far, uh, Nigel Farage's UKIP manifestos in the past, so Farage has undoubtedly had an influence, but I'd not a positive, not a positive one. But oh wow, yeah. Anyway, this, no. This, so <laughs> Let's just say Farage and Johnson are kind yeah. of not in no, our no. field of politics. Um, but yeah, this just yeah. that's just another another shambles. Anyway, oh, and uh, speaking of shambles, <laughs> the Blackburn have launched their own contract. Uh, contact tracing scheme because the government's is too slow and ineffective apparently according to them uh, yeah so that's another story um attacking the government yeah. but that's that is what's happening um so i yeah i mean i don't mean to say that no. they've got it easy by any means but the way they responded and mm-hmm. handled certain things yeah. they could have been quicker on the mark like the testing exactly. tracing they've had and ages expect- to set that up now I understand that it takes ages to set this sort of thing up, yeah. but come <laughs> but on, that's, exactly, <laughs> they think it's essential. The and they, then... They're coming, they're coming to us and saying it's essential. This is necessary. You need to, you need to go along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is the key to fighting COVID nineteen. And then they can't sort it out. They can't do their bit and sort it out themselves. That's that's the frustrating part. If they exactly. were open and honest with us and said this is taking a bit more time than we thought. Um, like we're trying yeah. to make sure it works we don't want to run an ineffective system we want to run we want to run something that's actually mm-hmm. going to work it, it's frustrating because it's taking time but it's also a lot more um acceptable to the general public hearing it like we we, we don't want to be 
Exactly, because they yeah, keep setting then, deadlines, don't they? And then they're like, oh, actually, yeah. let's push we it back to another have couple of weeks. the contact tracing app <laughs> available by the end of May. It's currently, today is the 8th oh, of yeah. August. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all due respect, they've had yeah. quite a bit longer to set it up now. Yeah. Blackburn have done it themselves, so. <laughs> um, I just think, any other news stories? Oh, something minor, so I'll switch from attacking... Um, the government to to yeah, criticising the party that I'm I'm actually a member of the Labour Party. So Rosie Duffield, I feel like I can't not talk about this. So Rosie Duffield is a Labour MP. I'm sorry, I've forgotten mm-hmm. her constituency, but she's a Labour MP, uh, and she's made some transphobic comments on Twitter this week, um, which is so oh. again for a Labour MP when. Again, to generalise, Labour have always been considered the party of the people, the party of equality. And then you've got an MP making uh, comments like that. Keir Starmer, the leader, has said nothing. He's been quiet on the whole issue. And then there's been some MPs criticising Rosie Duffield, some MPs, but a lot of MPs defending her, um, just saying it's an opinion when trans transphobia is not a difference of opinion it's if you're trans if you're transphobic you're transphobic no. but um the equalities For minister sure. which is sorry the shadow equalities minister like to tweet defending rosie duffield which says well you need to know about, if she the shadow equalities minister is doing that and she's defending a transphobe then it says what you need to know about the labor party at the moment but i'm more disappointed there with yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously disappointed with rosie duffield but also tremendously disappointed with the leadership and their lack of acknowledgement of this because I did have a lot of hope for Keir Starmer he is undoubtedly electable he's presenting himself as the moderate sensible alternative to the lunatic on the other side is what he'd probably well that's what is probably in his mind but um him like he's made a lot of as Labour leader he's supposed to commit to social justice and him he's made a lot of errors well not even errors just terrible decisions like describing black lives matter as a moment rather than a movement then this whole issue with uh rosie duffield um him refusing to like commit to any kind of social change that black lives matter is arguing for him um sacking rebecca in my opinion overreacting and sacking rebecca long bailey which just seems to be attack on the left wing of the party. But yeah, so that's my rant on Keir Starmer over. But so he, I just need him to step <laughs> up, to be honest. Yeah, it's just such a shame because Labour have been under scrutiny for so long because of Jeremy Corbyn and the allegations about anti-Semitism. You'd think he'd want to bring Labour back to its roots, like you were saying, for the people. But he's just condoning yeah. this kind of behaviour, this thinking it's acceptable to discriminate against people when that's not what he's, Labour are about. anti-Semitism won't take that away from him because th- that is... Yeah. yeah though, yeah. I, though that of course, there are a lot of other forms of racism, anti-Semitism is the issue that has plagued Labour for so long. And he's... He, obviously, yeah. when he's coming in, his priority has... He's got to get rid of that image. He's got to get rid of Labour being the party that is anti-Semitic. But if you don't take other forms of racism... And discrimination as seriously as you do with anti-Semitism, why? What are you doing being Labour leader? To be honest, exactly. He's just kind of shot himself in the foot there because, like you said, he had so much promise as a leader, and unless he pulls it back now, I don't yeah. know which way the election is going to go. Next time there is one. So for this segment of the episode, we're going to be discussing what would be in, in our manifesto if we was running for prime minister in a general election. Um, yeah, we both we both have like similar views on a lot of things, so I don't think we'll differ on too much. But it'll be interesting to see like what we'd both like to commit to and consider priorities and stuff. Um, so and we're just going to go through everything I think uh, topic by topic, so it doesn't get too confusing. Um, so we'll start with on the issue of uh, poverty and, and homelessness. I think so. What have you? If you were running for prime minister, Holly, what would what would you pledge in your manifesto for that? Well, I would probably pledge to put less funding into, say, richer sectors, which seems to be the case 
like not to government bash again but that's yeah. the only example i can think of where the mps mm. increase their own pay or don't change their own pay but then the people at the other end of the spectrum say supermarket workers yes they get a pay rise but it's not on the same level to keep up with increasing VAT mm-hmm. and everything so I'd probably focus on that sector first make sure they have enough yeah. to live comfortably and if they cuts to the people at the top end so be it and you, if you look at the NHS for example think of how much the nurses are earning compared to the people at the top who don't I don't want to go into too much about what they do because I'm not yeah. familiar with it as such but I feel like the money divide isn't um yeah i know what you're saying um you know at the start neither obviously neither me or me or holly are politicians and everything poli- <laughs> no, no we don't every, study politics. Everything, um, anything politicians do is easier said than easier said than done but um this is so this for us this is just like oh, a hypothetical sure. situation and we won't try and get we're not going to go into yeah. detail on everything simply because um part a because it would take a long time and b it requires a lot of research and we don't want to talk about stuff that we're not too informed on because that would be bad but um Mm. (laughs) but um but anyway uh, (laughs) what you're saying about um not essentially taking money away from the richer sector to help out others who need it is makes um a lot of sense it's something that i've uh targeted as well like so a lot of the things are uh comparable to what was in some of labor's controversial manifesto in 2019 but um i think raising taxes on the top five percent of earners is uh what would what, what would have to be what would have to be done to fund a lot of my manifesto because one of the questions was like where of labor was like where would you be getting all the money from and as well if you tax the rich people a little bit more take some money away from them that is essentially inconsequential to them um like i read so eighty thousand pounds unbelievably i think puts you in the top five if you earn that a year you're in the top five percent of earners in the uk and while that doesn't seem like a high amount it shows like how many people are earning below that well i say eighty thousand pounds a year isn't a high amount it's quite clearly a high amount but if i had to guess where the top five percent of earners cut off was I would have said it would have been a lot higher than that. But um, that's that's mm. where it stands, yeah, or that's where it stood in 2019. Um, and if you're earning £81,000 a week, the amount that Labour were proposing to raise your tax... Sorry, £81,000 a year, let me make sure I get it right. Um, the uh, the amount <laughs> that Labour were proposing to tax you were extra a week was under a pound. And obviously that goes up depending on how much you earn, but the more you earn like the less difference a little bit more money taken away from you is gonna it's gonna it's gonna make um so yeah raising um sorry yeah raising taxes on on higher earners makes a massive difference because then you have available funds to probably fund the nhs raise nurse raise nurses and doctor staff which is desperately needed provide and uh free parking for nhs staff they're having to pay uh, I think it's £3.50 an hour for parking. And in a lot of cases, that is like half a day's wage like gone on parking for NHS staff. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, a lot can be done with that. Um, in terms of like how I believe personally how the any government should make a massive commitment towards ending homelessness. Um, at least temporary housing for homeless should be compulsory, more like permanent housing, but also... Um, commit like a lot more money towards um, council housing making houses affordable for everyone um, but yeah I think it will the source of the thing all comes I know we're talking about um, poverty here but like the root of every issue comes back to making more money available and using it to help out the people who are more in need of it yeah no it's interesting you say that about homelessness because obviously especially at the moment say there's a situation where we have to suddenly invest a lot more money into something we might not necessarily have the funds to suddenly go and build loads of new houses but we can use the buildings we already have like there's plenty of hotels and disused buildings that could be renovated that would probably be lower cost Mm -hmm. than building a whole new house even if it's only temporary accommodation like you were saying and maybe opening 
other buildings that are used for other means during the day but are locked at night so I don't know how controversial it would be to do places of worship but there are plenty of other options we could use and just to give them a roof over their head for one night it's better than leaving them Um, on the street for a night Um, if you know what I mean (laughs) completely forgotten what I was going to say but <laughs> no it's alright sorry um, but yeah it's, it's um oh I'm, I'm sorry anyway uh, so yeah what are you saying about like just giving them a roof over the head is very important but also you need to give um, people who are less fortunate opportunities to work as well and so they're not in, in uh, some people who can't work don't have like qualifications or just just out of work can live near to the poverty line and that happens in or even if they're in low paying jobs as well which is why i believe that the minimum wage should be increased not only does it provide yeah. well a more how should i phrase it economically minded person would say that it provides more of an incentive to work because you're getting more money um that's a more shallow way of looking at it i guess but also because no one should have to rely on going to a food bank. Um, so, yeah, just r- raising the minimum wage, I think, is a fairly obvious one. Like, it just give, give people money. No one should have to rely on a food bank. If they can afford to go shopping, buy go food shopping every week, then that's that, that's a goal. That should be that should be a basic mm. that should be a basic characteristic for every family in the UK. But unfortunately, it's not. So. I think provide them with the opportunity to, to do that. Um, have you got anything else on the issue yeah. of poverty or? Well, yeah, because like you mm. said about the minimum wage, that's interesting because I, I guess you're referring to like the flat minimum yes. wage for anyone because obviously some pet companies yeah, do it based yeah. on age bracket. So an 18 year old will automatically get like four or five pounds yeah. an hour just because they're 18 doing the same job with the mm-hmm. same set of skills as say a 30 year old who's been there the same period of time and for all the employer knows the 18 year old could be living on their yeah. own they might be relying on food banks like you said i feel like young people yeah. sometimes get overlooked in the in like the world of work because it's assumed that they've still got a roof over their head they're, they're still mm-hmm. kind of depending on their parents finding yeah. their feet but that's not always the case. So I think abolishing um, minimum mm. wage based on age, where it's not down to like um, yeah, an yeah. increase in skill, like in retail, for mm. example, it's not needed for an eighteen-year-old to earn any less than a thirty-year-old because you're using yeah. the same skill set. Uh, that's really interesting, and I agree. To be honest, like if you look at um, students, are a great example of that. To be honest, like obviously me and Holly are both students at Cardiff. Shout, shout out to Cardiff University, but yeah. um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> students, when you're when you've got you've got your tuition fees to pay back in the future, you've got your maintenance loan to pay back in the future. I'm also going to quickly while I'm here, I might as well talk about the maintenance loan system, and I would definitely revert it to a maintenance grant because it doesn't work when you're giving less fortunate people more to pay back in the future maintenance loan is based on your family's income and if your family is earning more money you get a lower maintenance loan but if your family is earning less money you get a bigger maintenance loan and then you and the people who are less fortunate end up with more to more to pay back in the future so i would if it's a maintenance grant then that makes more sense but um anyway that's that quick run over i'll go back to what i was saying um uh but yeah students do not particularly have it easy economically um and often have to rely on a job for income and if you're really not getting paid what you what you should be for the hours you work and then you've got you've got to go out and do food shopping you've got you've got to like buy a lot of necessities and you still want to have some kind of social life you need money to spend on that um and a lot of students can't afford it because they're not making enough so yeah um we'll move on to the issue of you said you have some things to say about brexit didn't you so go on yeah well obviously brexit is still a thing like i understand at the moment with covid it might not be top of the agenda they're still trying to get on with it but it's not really working out and there are some people that have changed their minds since and would argue that we should stop brexit I was Mm -hmm. against Brexit 
but I wasn't yeah. old enough to vote in the election at the time. I think I was 16 when it all came out, 15 or 16. So obviously mm-hmm. you can't vote at that stage. But despite that, I think we should still okay. push on with Brexit, but try and yes. find the best deal possible. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's a lot easier said than done, but maybe keep some of, I don't know if it's possible, but in an ideal world, keep some of the EU schemes, mm. like the freedom of movement. That helps so many migrants, as you touched upon earlier. Yeah, exactly. Like, I understand the premise, because we're massive, we're getting overpopulated, but we still need to take care of those people. And I know Mm. I've said that point already, but it's very important to me, because I like to think that if you can help someone out, why wouldn't you welcome them in, you know? Because we have the means to do that. So keeping some of the EU teams, I guess, some of the agenda, while also plowing ahead with Brexit to keep everyone happy, sort of thing. agree, I think. Um, So... (laughs) <laughs> like I, I <laughs> yeah, always, it's a difficult one. I've always been against the idea of Brexit, but I also agree with yeah. now that it's been voted for and we spent so much time on it. You might as well push on. You've got a, referendums are there for a reason. They're to find the majority, the majority will of the public. Yeah. And even though you'd you could say that people were misled, people didn't know what they were voting for, which some people dismiss as a Remainer argument, but it's it's a lot of it is very true like people wouldn't i don't think even remainers yeah. didn't know what we were getting into so um, <laughs> but, um no, exactly. yeah, it's, even though that has all happened i'd still do think if you if you dismiss the result of a res- of a uh, referendum you set a dangerous precedent for what can happen in the future so um which is why mm. it was labor's policy of a second referendum was a very controversial amongst a lot of people it was actually orchestrated by Keir Starmer who is a very um staunch remainer but um anyway I I would essentially try and leave the whole lot of Brexit issue the whole issue alone leave it alone a little bit but also yeah um try and find a deal that is as beneficial as it possibly can be to the country um I'd argue that EU citizen EU nationals need to rem- like if they want to remain in the UK they can like give them the right to remain which it doesn't currently look like they will ha- they will receive but um they obviously foreign workers from the EU um come and bring add a lot to the economy S- some people like i know people argue but like oh why can't we give those jobs to the intelligent british people like well why do you think they're not in those jobs like put two and two together these people who are coming in are in those jobs because they're the best available they're the best available people for the job but um yeah it's it's yeah. also i don't think it needs to be said that suddenly removing the right to remain for eu nationals is like really cruel um yeah it's, it's just human rights yeah <laughs> you can't just yeah exactly it's, move uh, someone somewhere yeah. but yeah i don't want to get too uh tangled on the issue of brexit because it's quite a com- complicated yeah. one but, um <laughs> yeah um do you want to yeah. talk about like social social justice and equality next yeah um, yeah so, yeah sure <laughs> uh, yeah um well as we said earlier the fact that things like transphobia are still going, um, well, not undetected, but people are still overlooking them. I think a bigger push towards maybe Mm. even education, a lot in in education. I know I certainly wasn't brought up on being taught LGBTQIA plus rights, for example, and black history wasn't really a thing. So for equality and social justice, maybe focusing on the education sector, and bringing yeah. it into the curriculum would be um, would help people mm. maybe to understand more because I remember doing Nazi Germany for three years and that was fascinating and that's definitely a part yeah, of history 100%. we need to learn about. But it also wasn't very diverse. Like that was the only exactly. thing I focused on for three years when it could have easily been, say, a year on Nazi Germany, a year on yeah. black history if you want to still keep it in but I don't think it should be black history versus every other history. I think yeah, all history... Yeah, like, it's not... No just... one's... When we ask for um, 
it's similar to the issue of Black Lives Matter because people choose they it's not them misinterpreting yeah. it they are choosing to misinterpret it it's not it's not it's not difficult mm-hmm. to um it's not difficult to understand the message Black Lives Matter it's like it's it's three words no. that should be obvious to any human being if you're saying if you look at the three words Black Lives Matter and see you and see and see the idea that we're saying Black Lives Matter and others don't or Black Lives Matter more than others, or Black Lives are the most important, you're you're choosing to misinterpret misinterpret a movement that is about mm-hmm. basic human equality. Um so then again, so what what you're saying about like teaching black history in schools is is very important. And again, no one's saying omit all other parts of history. We own no one's saying we only need to be taught about black history. Just like but education is so crucial in this that in the fight against racism that black history and um needs to be a key part of um school curriculums um but yeah i 100% agree with you um no one we all know no one is is born a racist which is why education is so is so crucial that i feel like it's the root of the root of everything to be honest um so yeah i'd incorporate black history all forms of it into um into schools i would also make sure that children are educated on the atrocities and um just fairly disgraceful actions that the uk has carried out in the past because when i in when i was in school yeah. we were told about the british empire we told we owned a lot of the world and that was it basically you weren't told about <laughs> like um yeah it's yeah. like it sounds great on paper own, oh yeah, yeah people, we own the world but then when you exactly. think about put, what that means the, oh yeah we own the world we we brought this to several countries we got this from several countries it sounds like it was a fair deal blah 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 look look at we we yeah look at how we developed their country well but no it wasn't like that obviously um there was literal genocides committed there. in some countries by the british empire and mm-hmm. like no no again no one's people will say like oh you're making out our country to be evil like it's we're not that we've moved past that that's our ancestors but when you're when you're arguing like you want statues of anyone to remain on the street because then how are we going to learn about our history teach about it in schools make if you want people to be educated and not make the same mistakes as we have in the past why don't you just go to the root of the problem and start educating people um exactly yeah it's it's just yeah, teaching about like the, the 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 bad actions of the UK and not make not not pretending not pretending like yeah. it's an idyllic place to live or, or it has been is is important to me. And also another argument is like, oh, where's the sense of patriotism gonna be like it doesn't mean that you can you can I know personally the the idea of patriotism doesn't do much for me as the but that's that's just me as an individual i know it means a lot to some people but you can be you can be patriotic and mm-hmm. you can be an anti-racist at the same time so yeah that, that's no. all that needs to be said yeah like, there are plenty of sorry there are plenty of things that um britain has done in the past and people mm-hmm. have done in the past to be proud of like i'm um, just, just for example yep. the suffragette movement the, the people standing up for right it's not a new thing it's been going on and you can be patriotic about that definitely and uh, there are plenty of other things to be patriotic about but there comes a point where you you have to draw the line like in my opinion anyway you can't be patriotic about the fact that we literally colonized three quarters of the world it's not not something something to brag brag about about. (laughs) exactly when there were so many other great things going for britain that you could be boasting about Um, you you could be proud about so that's how i'd uh, that's how well, both of us would tackle um, so the issue of racism and social justice in the in the long term. In terms of the short term, and like in the world of work, I'd there's I think there's two potential solutions to this. I'd say um, one of them is implementing something what is being described in sports as the Rooney Rule. Um, in so it came from the NFL, uh, the National Football League in America, which is American football. Um, I can't remember this person's name. Something Rooney, but um, not Wayne. He plays English football. <laughs> but um, but yeah, some uh, coach. <laughs> it was named after him, and it just essentially dictates. And also, it, this is being introduced in uh, lower league English English football. Um, that 
when you're interviewing a candidate for a coaching position, they sh- you have to interview at least one uh, BAME minority ethnic um, candidate, which is which is 100% necessary in my opinion because again it's not mm. it's not um, giving them the job ahead of anyone else because because of their skin color. Like it's not saying okay we'll give you the job because you're black. It's not saying that. It's what we're asking for is equal opportunities. And if you're if you're being disregarded based on the color of your skin, which has, is the case in sports at the moment, um, um, yeah. I think out of there's they are there are. Make sure I get my maths right here. There's ninety two, I think, English professional football teams, and there are the the amount of uh, minority ethnic coaches. Man and managers are in single digits, so yeah. So really, See, that's yeah, interesting. So, I didn't realize it's good, that. So it's good that they are implementing it in in sport. I feel it could be impl- something that could be implemented in the wider world of work. Um, and also the other way to tackle mm. it is um, trying to avoid the issue of unconscious or in some cases conscious bias by um, like either removing last names or names altogether from from um, like. CVs and applications, um, so and and so you don't discriminate based on the name and ethnicity. You could do the same with um, with uh, gender as well. Um, also, should mention mm-hmm. that my manifesto would be committed to uh, ending the gender pay gap because even though some people like to pretend like it doesn't exist, it's something that is very real. Um, yeah, exactly. It definitely but, um, exists. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, yes, also, so I think removing names and doing a more anonymous hiring yeah. as well. Um, some people would argue that you should remove like universities and grades. That's like a bit of a different issue and something that I'd probably need to think more about. But it's also definitely a possibility. But um, yeah, so mm. I think that's all I've got mm. for social justice, I think. Oh, wait, I'd also, this isn't technically social justice, but I would move to abolish private schools but i did i've done like a whole episode on this like a few weeks ago and describes that i explained why i can't find any redeeming feature for why private schools should stay but um yeah so i'll just leave it at that but um, (laughs) yeah have you got anything else on social justice or equality um I yeah. think you pretty much covered it all. You did things I hadn't even thought of, like the anonymity in applying for jobs. That's an excellent idea. Like you can still have your phone number so mm-hmm. they can contact you. Yeah. There's no reason they need to know what age, gender, ethnicity you are at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, like you can still put down hiring. your credentials and stuff, but they don't need you yeah, you don't need they don't need oh, to know definitely. what you look or sound like. Like it's so um Exactly. And they don't know what you sound yeah, like until they get, interview you essentially so that's exactly, one bias exactly. eliminated so, because like even an accent is like an important well for some people um if you hear an accent again unconscious bias comes into play and you'd dismiss them immediately yeah. but like that's just that's how the world of world works world of work works but it's just a, it's, it's just, but yeah it's just a, <laughs> it's, it's sad to think about but that does happen and when you, there's something that needs to be eliminated so I think that's a way to, to, to at least start um, I think we yeah, will go on to I think the last kind of topic would you say is environment and climate change yeah I think yeah. that's an important so, one yeah, to discuss definitely go ahead. <laughs> yeah <laughs> well obviously we're a lot more aware of climate change now and the government are taking it a lot more seriously there are a lot of measures already in place, like if you go to the countryside where I currently am, <laughs> you see so many wind turbines, you see solar panels, and that's great. But there's also things that have been overlooked for ages, like, for example, they were trying to sort out tidal energy in my local area, like Bristol kind of area, for ages. They've been talking about it because we get such high waves, but it just hasn't mm. been implemented yet, whether or not that's down to funding or not. I understand that funding is an issue but at the same time I feel like it's an important thing to put your funding into because obviously a lot more a lot of funding at the moment has gone into Mm. other issues like Brexit and what have you and obviously they're important but I feel like a review of where the Mm. funding has gone 
should be, yeah, should definitely be on the cards because we need to tackle mm-hmm. climate change at the end of um, the day. I, I, yeah, it's just completely agreed to be honest. I'd say that I, if I was, my <laughs> manifesto would just like pledge to, well, obviously pledging to tackle climate change is a big, broad issue, but um, like the, yeah. and there are there are a lot of details that you could go on onto it, but um. Yeah, just tackling, tackling climate change in its sense is a big issue. So I'd say I'd pledge a lot more towards renewable energy, potentially, uh, mm-hmm. like, actually make taking it seriously, all kinds of renewable energy. Like I said, tidal energy is a big one that you really yeah. don't hear about on the news, but it could be massively uh, beneficial to um, our campaign for renewable energy. Um, potentially making renewable energy yeah. mandatory in, in buildings, not like... in like or buildings of a certain size at least or like I, again i don't want to go into ins and outs of it because i'm not particularly educated on on the topic but um just like <laughs> limiting the amount of um electricity or anything they use from like from that uh, power generated from fossil fuels that like uh, used to power buildings mm. or whatever um also i'd just like to encourage cycling a lot more everywhere particularly in london where i live especially in central london um there are not mm. enough cycle lanes for people to cycle safely and, and comfortably um there are some but not enough so like when i was in I've, i think i've used this example before on the podcast when i was in berlin last year there was um cycle lanes literally everywhere and me and my friends went around on the like you know like the um electric scooters that you can hire just great you can they're designed to be used in the cycle lanes and it felt safe it didn't feel like a car was gonna hit me and like it was fun and like and if people have that kind of option then they're gonna be encouraged not to uh use their cars and that again if people if people are discouraged from using their cars that um massively contributes to the fight against climate change oh definitely and if you look at um our lockdown that we had during COVID, um, emissions, CO2 emissions went down massively because everyone was being encouraged yeah, to yeah. take up exercises, to go out on their bike. If we continue that strain, yeah, who exactly. knows what we could do? Like the impact was amazing mm. in a few months alone. But going on to what you said about like the cycle paths and stuff and in Berlin, how seriously they take it. In Britain, cyclists are usually yeah. shunned and blamed for getting in the getting in the way of cars and making out like it's their fault but like you said there's not enough cycle lanes anywhere especially yeah. in london for you like the traffic know, is it's, actually it's ridiculous there. um yeah it's a lot greener in bristol i think yeah so <laughs> yeah i think we're london on the right should... tracks but <laughs> yeah, if everyone could, could be like that that would be great brick, i think but um <laughs> but yeah <it's, laughs> um so yeah i think just reducing emissions in that sense is important i'd also say yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure on, on this idea either, but something I probably would go for is free free bus travel. Maybe even maybe you could start off in just bigger cities, like um, and again that's yeah. not favoritism towards big cities. So like if for Lon- I'd use London as an example again, but um, so recently um, yeah. because of the TF Transport for London bailout um, that TfL needs to survive basically. Um, free travel on buses and discounted travel for under 18s is going to be taken away which is something that i can't imagine if i was going around london without free bus travel when it's so crucial to us um i can't imagine that when i was younger Mm -hmm. a lot of families rely rely on it especially when they live um far away from schools because the schools that are near them are selective because they have a small catchment area because they only pick up rich people but that's a whole different issue that i'm getting into but um but um (laughs) but um anyway um what was i talking about buses yes free bus free bus travel is something that i think would have to be um uh trialed at least because it would again discourage people from using cars if bus travel's free you're gonna you might as well use the bus in it um and take take cars off roads it would clear up traffic it would reduce emissions and it's also beneficial to if you're not gonna if you if like you can't immediately tackle the issue of um kids from working class families having to travel miles and miles to school um 
Well, at least give them free bus travel to get there, so they're not spending loads of money doing it. So, yeah, I think that's... Yeah, I think it's something that could work. Yeah. Yeah, but that's... Yeah, again, that all goes back to <laughs> yeah. producing the extra funds, which can come from ta- raising taxes on people who taxes, don't need yeah. the money as much. There you go. Um, but, yeah, some people would yeah. say, like, why should I have to spend my hard-earned money helping these people when... Well, again, the issue, whether it's hard-earned is interesting because we live in what people like mm-hmm. to call a meritocracy, which is a myth, which is like when you, um, how hard you work merits what you earn. That doesn't happen, as we know, because you can be born into a, a wealthy no. family and be set for life. And you can work, you can work, and if you're born into uh, a low-income family, you can work as hard as, work as hard as you can and not be in a position to um financially succeed i'll say but um yeah so also i think that if you are in a position where you are earning a lot of money you do have some kind of moral responsibility to help those less fortunate than you because you a lot a lot of the time when you're in a high income position you're on there off the back of the hard work off the back of hard work of low income uh people so yeah yeah it's all a cycle we all just need to help exactly each other I, th- essentially. I think that's a great Where way to end the segment <laughs> for the last segment of the episode we're just going to discuss a question on a topic sent in by a listener uh it's been sent in uh, i've only got one this week and it's been sent in by uh my friend fergal who's been on the podcast before shout out to fergal um he's said that we should discuss uh how long it will be until Scotland becomes independent with polls showing SNP dominance in next year's Scottish Parliament elections. Um, yeah, obviously, it's not really a secret that SNP has been dominating in Scotland for ages. They are um, the dominant force in not only Scottish Parliament elections, but in general elections, consistently getting above 35 seats. They've been getting above 50 seats in a couple of recent elections as well. Um yeah, it's interesting how um, Fogel phrases it, saying how long it will be until Scotland is independent, not not whether they'll be independent. Um, I'm not sure whether I'm, I can totally agree on like when they'll be in the, the way it's phrased. Um, I feel like it, with a Conservative mm. government in charge, who is who the Conservative Party is still known as the Conservative and Unionist Party. They're not going to do any do anything to jeopardise the union. They're not going they're not going to do anything to jeopardise the immediate future of the United Kingdom. But, um, so I, that, it's not going to happen under a, a Conservative government anytime soon, I think. Uh, well, what what do you think about it? Because there is s- still quite a mandate for a referendum in Scotland. Yeah, it's interesting, like you said, the wording of the question. Because maybe before, with, before Covid and Brexit, when the polls came back and they voted to remain in the United Kingdom, I would have said, oh, OK, that's it. Like, they wouldn't ever be independent. But now, I think they stand quite a strong chance. Maybe yeah. not in the next five, ten years, but maybe way down the line of mm-hmm. becoming independent one day. Because if you look at even down to how lockdown's been handled, I don't yeah. mean to bring it all back to COVID, but <laughs> it's quite relevant at the moment. The way, because Boris Johnson was supposed to be in charge of the whole UK's response. But that's not how it's been approached. Nicola Sturgeon, I know all the other leaders did as well, but Nicola Sturgeon Mm. did her own thing and set out her own rules and Scottish people listened to her as opposed to him. So I think it's not unrealistic to say that they will be independent one day because the United Kingdom doesn't seem so united anymore. But like you said, under a Conservative government, I don't don't know if that will happen anytime soon. Yeah, as you said, Scotland have got a lot of a... um, a lot of devolved powers that they get from the central UK government, which is why um, Nicola Sturgeon and the the leaders of the other two the other two nations in the uh, United Kingdom have the ability to um, the ability to operate essentially sometimes as they wish. They can within within uh, restraints. Obviously, there are like limitations placed on what um, regional governments can do, but that they, they are. They do have a like a, they do operate in a different way. For like example, 
pretty sure like for Scottish universities, Scottish students, if they go to university in Scotland, it's free for them, which is, uh, yeah, which is the dream. Mm -hmm. But, um, well, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah which, which could be the case here, but it's not, unfortunately. Um, but anyway, yeah, I don't see yeah. it happening under said government, but there is, with while the SNP, the Scottish National Party, while they are achieving the level of success that they get, while that is still keeps happening, um, shows that there's a mandate for Scottish nationalism, and that is what people want to see because that's clearly how they're doing. That's clearly why they're doing so well, and that goes hand in hand with the issue of uh, Scottish independence. So it's a bit of a difficult one. As I said, it won't. Uh, there won't be a referendum under Conservative government unless the Conservative government are in like dire straits, and if they, if they be, it would take pretty much a miracle for that to happen. But um, under if yeah, they, for, if Keir Starmer gets elected, for example, um, Keir Starmer is moving the Labour Party to uh, the centre. Let's keep well centre left for now, and for better or for worse, that's what he's doing. In the long run, it's probably going to make Labour a bit more electable because Corbyn was always portrayed as being a really strongly it's left 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 candidate but um but um, yeah far too left I, yeah I, like even him. though like i agree with a lot of his policies he was i don't again i'm talking about corbyn i don't think um i even yeah i agree <laughs> i agree that he was like too left for the public to accept him i agree with a lot of his policies and you can tell yeah. that he he is someone who wants to make change. He's not in it for the job. He's in it for general change. But um, mm. uh, I don't think, at the same time, I don't think he was cut out to be leader. And also, I don't think there was any chance no. the public was going to accept him. But um, Keir Starmer, on the other hand, even though my feelings towards him are getting increasingly more negative, he is undoubtedly more electable than yeah. Corbyn. Um, and he, moving prior to the centre-left, which is uh, traditionally where the SNP are, seem to operate in the centre-left. There's now a lot more scope for um, Keir Starmer to work with the SNP in a, in a potential coalition in the future, um, which opens up the issue, because I'm, I'm pretty sure Nicola Sturgeon has made it clear that they wouldn't be involved in any kind of coalition unless they were promised another independence referendum, which is, I mean, fair play, that's your main goal, and, like, it's a good bargaining tool. Um, but um, it's like... And it, ma it makes sense for... It makes sense for her to be asking her and her party to be asking for a prime minister to be or a prime ministerial candidate to be committing to that if they want the SNP's help. Um, but yeah, there's a lot more scope for the SNP and Labour yeah. to work together now than there has been in the past. So it could be something we see in the not too distant future, but it's not something that we should be expecting to happen yeah. tomorrow, for example. Exactly. I think it depends as well if Nicola Sturgeon is still yeah. the one in power, like the one yeah. leading the SNP, because under Sturgeon's government, it could easily happen. But who's to say that the next leader would yeah, want it, it would take a lot. independence? That is true. Like Nicola Sturgeon has been a generally popular first first minister of Scotland. But um, um, yeah, and it looks, according to like polls in Scotland, it looks like she is going to remain in that position. The SNP are going to hold on to power potentially in, even increase it but you know polls aren't everything and it could quite easily turn and um go the other way we could see a conservative resurgence in scotland they uh recently elected a new leader i'm going to remember his name in one second let me look it up actually i know that he's a, a football referee as part of his job, <laughs> but uh, he, mo he, he, yeah, but he moonlights as the Scottish Conservative <laughs> Keep your leader. Options open. Um, <laughs> Douglas Ross, that's his name. He's the new Scottish Conservative leader. Okay. Um, yeah, he is also a referee. It's quite an interesting one. But um, anyway, yeah, if mm. uh, say there's a, a Conservative Unionist government in in Scotland, then yeah, we might not see the issue of Scottish independence for a while but yeah it's it's hard to predict where it will go but um mm. it's fair to say that it could happen maybe saying it's likely to happen is a bit of a stretch but it definitely could definitely is a possibility in in the in the future um that brings us to the end of this episode of the backbench thank you so much for listening if you've made it this far <laughs> um uh 
thank you thanks so much to Holly for coming on uh, have you got thank anything you for having to plug? <laughs> <laughs> well if you're interested I've, I've got an instagram holly.quindon14 yeah <laughs> thank, thank you, you for, for having me it's <laughs> a very good episode um um yeah, uh, yeah as i said thank you for listening if you've got any questions or queries or you're interested in coming on the podcast or any feedback or anything like that you can email me at benchpodwithsam at gmail.com or you can tweet or dm me on twitter at benchpodwithsam um or oh also just at benchpod on instagram i've got an instagram account for benchpod now so go and follow that if you can that one is just at benchpod um so yeah you can message me on there as well uh, but yeah if you know me personally just just drop me a message and i'll get back to you as soon as i can um there should be a new episode of the subs bench the sports section of benchpod coming out on tuesday um so keep an eye out for that but um yeah as i said thank you so much for listening and i will see you soon